Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the People Processes podcast. Before we get started, I want to remind you to check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, at Poplar Financial. Give us a like, follow, and subscribe. You can also go to peopleprocesses.com and subscribe on there to get exclusive access to special subscriber-only content. Today, we're interviewing Thomas Keenan. He is the CEO of Top Class Installations. He's responsible for setting the vision, managing finances, and building the team. Every day is focused on improving efficiency and providing an exceptional customer experience for his clients. Thomas is also the author of Unfuck Your Business, Stop self Business Self-Sabotage by Getting Clear on Your Core Values Now. Heck of a name. Uh, in 2017, you guys installed 5,000-plus tracking devices onto buses for the New York City Board of Education? Yes, sir. That's correct. That was, um, that was one project for that year. Man, well, that's, that's awesome. Well, you got to tell me, how did you get into this business? How did you get to where you are now? So the long version of the story is in 1997, I graduated high school and I fell in love with car audio. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked working with my hands. I had friends, family, relatives around me, uh, mostly blue collar who were doing uh, a lot of work on, on automobiles in particular. And I started working with them um, learning some of the the intricacies of, of automobiles and whatnot. And I realized that I didn't want to be a mechanic. I didn't want to be an auto body technician. However, this thing called car audio was really cool. I always loved music. And I said, you know what? Um, maybe I can do something with this car audio gig. And uh, that's what I did. I, I jumped in head first. I was uh, 17 years old and I was a very poor student in, in a school st- structure. Mm. Um, I was forced to take a, an elective, uh, it was a technical drawing class, like technical drawing 101, very basic class. I needed this in order to graduate, believe it or not. So, uh, the, the class just wasn't for me. Um, I couldn't stand it. I have trouble drawing a straight line with a ruler and that's all this class is. <laughs> a different time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I approached the, uh, the, the teacher and I said, Hey, uh, Mr. Gargiulo, I've got this other thing I'm really interested in. Um, would you maybe, you know, take a look at this? And, and just to backtrack, I had this book that I had purchased. It was called the MECP Study Guide, Mobile Electronic Certified Professional. Okay. And I, I said, there's this, this thing here, this car audio gig that I'm really interested in. Um, maybe you can just take some lessons out of this book and do something for me other than this technical drawing, because I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get anything out of this technical drawing thing further in life. So he, uh, he said, all right, let me, let me see what I can do. A couple of weeks later, he comes back and he goes, we got the green light from my superiors. And in the fine print in the back of the book, it clearly stated, if you wanted to take this test to become a certified professional, one of the, I'll call it loopholes, was that you could have a librarian proctor the test. So here I am in high school. There's a librarian on the fourth floor. So wow. we approached a, her and she did What a she heck did of a it. teacher too. Yeah. To, to go out of his way like that. Yeah. I mean, um, I lost touch with the guy, but he really uh, kickstarted my career in car audio. If it wasn't for him, I probably would have been delayed by several months. I was going to do this no matter what, but he allowed me to start going down this path of training myself in the car audio field when I was still in high school. So, so you go and you find the librarian. Yep. She says, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. So, uh, that was also my final exam for the year. So if I didn't pass that test, I wasn't getting out of high school. 
<laughs> wow, high stakes. So you, yeah. you crushed it, I'm assuming? I didn't crush it. I think I scored like a 76 or a 77. But nevertheless, I got it done and I got out of school. C's get degrees, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you set up a car audio company. Yeah. So I, I went to work for a, a number of uh, local shops. Uh, I wound up going up to Boston. Uh, I went to a trade school up there specifically for, for car audio, car security systems um, on a very high end uh, level. I was there for a couple of months in the summer of 1999. I came back to Long Island and went back to work for another company, worked there for about three years. And I think I was right around the age of 21-ish at the time. And I said, you know, um, I think I can do things better than these guys are doing around me. And I just, you know, as a cocky 21 year old, I knew better. So same, same started my company at 22 (laughs) after working in a competitor for like a year. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. I could do this better. Yeah. That's exactly what I, you know, so that, that's what kickstarted my small business career. And I had always known from day one that I wanted to go into a business myself, even when I was very young, I'd say around uh, 13 or 14 years of age. Um, and that was just an influence from my my family. You know, I had several family members who were small business owners and so on and so forth. Um, unfortunately, none of them had anything that was real solid. It wasn't no, nothing was very successful, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. So I had three hundred dollars cash to my name. I had maybe an eighth of the tools and, and supplies needed to properly do it. And I said, all right, let's go do it. I did it. I worked out of my mother's driveway for about six months. Um, started, you know, gaining a good customer base to the point where my mother's neighbors were no longer happy with me. <laughs> uh, I had too many know, cars. Yeah, cars you know, everywhere. Running a business. Yeah. Running a business, loud stereo systems always being <laughs> checked, tuned. They were not thrilled whatsoever. Um, so it got to the point where it was like, Hey, uh, I got to go find a facility. So I, I had enough money at the time I went, I rented a local shop and that's when things really started to, uh, to kick into high gear with the first business. Um, and one of the reasons that I left, uh, the, the places that I was working at, they weren't allowing me to do the high end fabrication that I knew I could do. And that's what I wanted to do. So I, I wouldn't say soon. It took me a couple of years. A couple of years into it, I find out why they don't want me to do this because you spend so much time on one vehicle in particular that it's hard to make money unless that's all you specialize. There's very specific things you can do in order to make good money doing that now. Now I know that. I'm clear on that. But then I wasn't. Right. Um, right. You know, so I how, was, long, how long were you in that business? Uh, five years. And uh, so how did how did how did it turn out in the end? You crashed and burned real hard. Yeah. Um, so I guess right around the five year mark, uh, I was real, I was, I was, man, I was working 20 hour days. Uh, it ruined relationships. It ruined my health. I knew nothing about running a business. However, I could install anything you wanted into any car. Literally. That was not the problem. I was the typical technician right. turned business owner. The technical aspect of my job, when I say technician, I, I reference it a lot in my book as well. When I say technician, I'm not talking about someone who's always working with the hands. If you're an accountant working right. as the accountant in your CPA firm, you're the technician within your business. Right. The Emeth, uh, I think, yes. was the first book that really popularized that. Yeah. That is correct. That is correct. Um, so, you know, I was the great technician. However, I didn't know anything about sales. I know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about 
taxes. <laughs> I didn't realize that you had to pay sales tax. During my, my first quarter hit me, my accountant comes to me and goes, hey, I need 7,500 bucks by tomorrow. I'm like, for what? <laughs> sales taxes due. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah. uh, you weren't collecting that? And I said, um, I said, no, I, I, I wasn't doing that at all. So that, that was a real swift kick in the rear. Um, you know, hard lesson to work, uh, to learn, hard pill to swallow, but, uh, I did it. I'm still here. Yeah. Well, at least you got it out in your first quarter, man. Uh, <laughs> didn't yeah. you, you were smart enough to hire an accountant early on. Yes. That was probably one of the only smart things I did. <laughs> so, all right. So that business, uh, in the end, the business model wasn't the right fit. Um, five years in. So then you, you had a little period and now you're in a new company. How'd that happen? So I left, I closed down my first business and, uh, I had one of my clients at the time turned into a good close friend, older gentleman owned his own business. And he just, he would stop in periodically and check on me. He knew things weren't, weren't going well. And he approaches me one day and he says, Hey, he goes, he goes, I'm not blind. I, I can see the writing on the wall. He goes, uh, I got a good friend of mine who runs an automotive accessory shop on the east end of Long Island. Um, go talk to him. He's looking for someone with your skill set. So I did. And it was one of the toughest decisions I had to make was to close down my first business, which was my baby. Right. Um, Five years of, of incredibly long days of yeah. sacrifices. Yeah. it's a, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went out there. I saw him and I, something just clicked and said, you know what? This is the right thing to do. I wound up closing down my, my place. I went to work for this guy. I worked there for about three years. And yes, I was the technician within his business, but I was um, absorbing his knowledge and his his influence while I was there. Um, very successful guy still to this day. I still consider him a close, dear friend. And you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that he gave me knowing that I was not in a good spot, mentally and financially. Yeah. So um, you work there and then you decide to get into this new business. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So uh, September 2009, um, my business partner and I started, we incorporated top class installations and we, our business currently, we focus exclusively on GPS tracking and dash camera system installations and commercial fleet vehicles. Niche it down. Good work. It's a very, very deep niche. It's a niche within a niche within a niche. So we both come from the car audio background. Uh, I actually had met my partner um, working at uh, one of the local car audio shops throughout you know, my, my first couple of years in the business. We had always stayed in touch. And the timing was just never right for us to start a business. We had always wanted to do it. You know, He was getting married. I was getting married. He was buying a house. He was having a kid. I was having a kid. It, the timing was just never right. And finally, one day... Um, we sat down and uh, we, we were working ridiculous hours. He had a full-time job. I had a full-time job. And we would get together at his house around nine o'clock at night and we would work to four in the morning because we had so much what we called at the time side work. We had, we had, we had again, in his driveway now, we have all of these customers' vehicles lined up wanting us to perform work in their cars. I mean, we're specialists. We, we knew what we were doing and we were very sought after, which is a, a great problem to have. Um but the hours were crazy. And, you know, we just sat down and said, how are we going to sustain this? This isn't going to last much longer. I, I can't keep up at this pace. I know I'm still young and all, but the four hours of sleep at night is is not cutting it. So uh, we decided to to crank up top class 
Um, and we haven't looked back since. You know, we, we, we did not specialize at first. We were still doing some car audio and some accessories and remote starts for friends, family, and whoever wanted to give us a couple hundred bucks to put those pieces in their cars. Yeah. And again, we started the business as technicians. We knew nothing more than the technical aspect of doing the job. Um, that, that lasted us a little while. Fast forward five years. Uh, my wife is pregnant with our first child and Again, I'm working, you know, at this time, probably 13 to 16 hour days is the norm. Driving about 40,000 miles a year. Uh, in this business, we don't have a facility. We're completely mobile. So we travel to and from, uh, like my, te- my technicians now leave from their home base. They go to the customer's location, wherever the vehicle is located, complete the work, and then go on to the next one. So a lot of miles, a lot of time in the car. And I said, you know, I'm bringing a child into the world and I don't think that I'm going to be able to be the parent that I know my child needs if things continue this way. Now, on the business side of it, you know, things are going good. We're making decent money. The business is operational. We have work coming in. Matter of fact, we have more work coming in than we could handle. And I just knew there was a better way and I knew I wasn't smart enough to figure it out on my own. So... um, that that kind of kicked off the same passion that I had for learning car audio when I first started. And I had that lucky teacher who helped me out. A uh, very similar situation pops or pops up. And I started uh, I started reading heavily. And it wasn't a physical book at first. It happened to all be audio books because I was in a car so much. Right. But that 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 revolution of being able to absorb knowledge while working on other things, that audiobook revolution, man. Yep. Uh, gives that gateway. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for audiobooks. I really am because um, uh, without them, I don't know if that if I would have been kickstarted down this path uh, as fast and rapidly as I have been. So five years in, you start investing in audiobooks. You learn about more about running the business side. Where are you now? How's the company looking? So uh, that was five years ago. The company's looking great at the moment. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're we're grossing seven figures a year. We have just under 20 employees. Uh, we just hired two more within the last week and a half, which is great. Um, we've got systems and processes in place, which which is fantastic. It's allowed me uh, to really step back and stop working in the business on a day-to-day basis. So now when I work for top class installations, I'm working on the business. Right. You know, I'm here doing stuff. Like like a podcast with you right now, which to me this is this is promoting and working on the business. I'm not working in the business, um, and we've hired the correct people to come in and and handle the day to day operations. So in your in your new business in the last ten years, I, I, one of the questions we always ask on here is to tell us about your your biggest business failure because um, I feel like we learn more from those mistakes than we do from our successes a lot of times. And you definitely hit on, you know, your first business going under. But in this last 10 years where you've been working in top class, what do you think kind of the biggest business failure mistake? And failure is a tough word because it means you didn't recover from it. But I mean, the the, the biggest fuck up, to use your words, mm-hmm. that sets you back. Tell me that story. Um, that's a great question. So I believe... The main thing was not having, not starting with the end in mind. Like, what did I want out of this business? I had no idea. 
You know, yeah. so it was like, oh, just- I want money. I want more clients. Yeah, start yeah. a business. You know, yeah. why, why are you in business? To make money. That's that's everyone's, you know, what everyone says. And and it's, right. it's really, that's so vague. It's not even funny. Right. Um, it, it, it took- it took, you know, several, I say years of education, working with, with business coaches to kind of figure out what I was doing and why I was here and, um, not putting that structure in place early on, mm-hmm. thinking that myself and my partner were the only ones who could do it. You know, typical small business curse. Right. Right. So from our listeners, you know, we've got, uh, listeners all over the U S and the world, a lot of, uh, financial professionals, but also just a ton of small business owners. What do you think our listeners from hearing your story, what is the, the key takeaway you think they should, they should, they should pull from your story? A um, couple things. I mean, one of the main things that I'm a big proponent of is uh, taking imperfect action. However, um, you have to take some time and put structure in place within your business. So yes, don't delay, take the action, even if it's not perfect, but especially for the new guys coming in who, who are looking to start a business or want to go down that path. Yes. I know you want to get things done and you want, you want to start this business up immediately, but take some time, start, start digging deep and finding out who you are and what you believe in. And this, this kind of all ties back into my book. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of core values. You know, your core values should tell you exactly what to do and what not to do, who to do business with, who not to do business with, who to hire, who to fire, so on and so forth. Very nice. Well, so now that you're in this position, you're out working on the business instead of in it. Uh, you got a 20 man staff. What's got you most excited in the next six months? What you got rolling out? What's the what's the stuff coming down the horizon? Love the question. So first and foremost, uh, my oldest daughter starts kindergarten in September, which is um, really cool. I'm excited about it, and I know she is too. Um, and on, on the business front, I have my first online training course being released. Uh, I'm about 75% done with it. And this training course is, it's for technicians wanting to come in and become a GPS tracking installer. So they might be a car audio technician. They might be a cable uh, TV installer at the moment. This is a a field that really needs skilled people in there. There's a ton of opportunity for guys to come in and easily make six figures a year doing installation work. Um, so I have a course that's, that's like I said, 75% developed. It's going to be online training and that's going to be tier one. I'm going to keep piling on there and adding some extra layers uh, to it um, just to, to build up the online university end of, uh, of the business. Uh, at the same point in time, that content also doubles for training for my in-house guys. Right, right. Take what you already are developing internally and and turn it into a revenue stream externally. That's that's really cool. Yep. Now it's a it's a pretty different market than your book uh, there. So you, you're going to kind of run down both roads at the same time. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, you know the, the I think my true and pa- I think I, I know my my true passion is to help others succeed in business. And since I've gotten clear on that over the past couple of years, I've realized that you know the installation company isn't my true passion. However. It's the vehicle that I already have in place and what I'm known for. So why not mm-hmm. leverage it still? You know, it's right. still it's still a cash machine. It still produces the income that feeds my family and feeds my employees' families. Exactly. And I heard you know when you talked about your story, one thing you did was you kept your day job until your vo- until your volume and demand was so big that it overwhelmed you. Mm-hmm. Keeping that runway long is one of those business lessons that I think as a guy who started a second business, 
you know that deep down in your in your bones, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something we hear a lot from some of our from our listeners sometimes and, and small business clients that you know they they take that jump into the deep end. And it's you know when you're 17 or 20 or whatever, it's a, it's a, it's something you can do. You can live on ramen noodles and microwaves, but right. um, but especially for the guys who are really getting into it later in life with responsibilities, keeping that runway long. I mean, there's one thing to be said, like you said, take imperfect action, imperfect action, and and jump into it, and don't give yourself an out. On the other hand, you know we got families, right? You can't just um, uh, risk it all. It can, it can, it can, it can be a bad choice. So I think, um, I think keeping what you got going on, um, and, and slowly building out this more passionate project is a, is an excellent idea. I agree. So this is the rapid fire round. This is just real, uh, kind of quick questions. Mm-hmm. If you could recommend one book to go alongside unfuck your business and people processes, my book, um, uh, what would you recommend? That's a, Great question, uh, and I'm gonna. I've, I've I've got a lot of books under my belt at this point. Um, uh, but you got to pick one. Yeah, it's a hard thing. It is hard. So here's my choice. Uh, it's a book called How to Make Shit Happen, and it was written by Sean Whalen. Uh, it's a very small book. You can probably sit down and read it in one evening. It talks not only about business but also about life. And when I say life, it talks about you know your health. It talks about um, your loved ones. Um, problems with people that you've dealt with in the past. It has a ton of information and a ton of value in there. Um, I sat down and read that book one evening and immediately put some things into play and wow, game changer. I'm going to have to put a, uh, that's awesome. I, I've read that. It's a great book. I think it's awesome. Um, and, and, and it's, it, it goes with what you said, that imperfect action, making that thing happen. I mm-hmm. think that's a, a great, great book to recommend i will say you're definitely from long island man i i have we're on around episode 200 of, of my podcasts i don't think there's been a single curse word up till now uh, <laughs> so uh this is this is the episode man i'm gonna have to put like nsfw on the front and by the way this guy's from long island so let's just uh <laughs> i don't know maybe my editor can bleep him out but i uh I don't know. It's, it adds color. It's a good thing. So, um, okay. Uh, next one. If you could go back to your first day of business, right, uh, of this new business, and you said you could write a letter, you'd say read books, you'd say, um, you know, uh, begin with the end in mind. What's something you would tell yourself personally back on that first day uh, that you started your company? Tell myself personally. Yeah. Um, not, not, not somebody else starting your company, but you. Well, you, you definitely touched on it with reading. I think reading has a lot to do with it. Readers are leaders. Um, secondly, I would say start getting clear in your core values immediately, your personal core values. Hmm. On mine, it's always, man, this is going to be a lot harder than you think. <laughs> oh, get yeah. ready. Get ready. But no, I think that's that's exactly right. Okay. Outside of those, what is the best business advice you've ever heard, maybe from one of your business coaches or from one of your books? So I was at a, a marketing conference a couple of years back, and there was a gentleman by the name of Vern Harnish who was speaking. He, he, was, he was the keynote, the end of the conference, last guy on stage. And one sentence he said while up there that stuck with me and still does to this very day. Uh, he said, it's never a how problem. It's always a who problem. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Elaborate on it for me, though, for the, for the listeners. So basically, you know, you have a problem that pops up in life and business, and it's like, all right, well, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? And you're like, oh my God, I have no idea. Well, yeah, because 
you're not the you specialist at fixing that. Right. So stop trying to figure it out yourself and go go hire the person who already knows how to fix it in like 10 seconds. Right. Right. Not a how problem, a who problem. Put that on a billboard next to my desk. It's a good mm-hmm. one. It really sums up getting out of that technician role really well. That does. Now, my book, People Processes, and this podcast, People Processes, we talk a lot about the systems, the policies, procedures, the compliance side that that changes business. When you take when you're talking about a who problem, a lot of what we focus on is the structures around getting your people right. Mm. What do you think is the number one policy, procedure, system that or training that's had the biggest effect on your company uh, internally? All right, so we're in total alignment here. Um, I would say that uh, our hiring and onboarding system that we've put into place over the past three years and the fact that it ties our company culture in from the get-go. So, you know, we're looking more for someone who fits the culture more than someone who has the skill. Exactly. Hire them. Exactly. Hire the people, not the, not the, not the skill. Yeah. I, um, that's what we do at my company, but popular financial, we're an HR company. We, we design and implement systems primarily built around onboarding annual reviews. And of course it includes payroll and benefits and compliancy stuff. But the key thing is that culture integration from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure if you haven't already, you got videos on there, you're welcoming them to the company, explaining why you do what you do. Those kind of items. Exactly. Exactly. It, people can't understand. They, they, it blows me away the amount of focus someone will do in teaching someone how to do a task. You got to do that. Mm-hmm. But they can't see the value a lot of times until they do it. The, the huge returns of, of process and systematizing the cultural introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say? How has that actually affected your company to do that? Oh, it's brought us together tremendously. So um, a couple of years back, my, myself, my partner and our office manager, we flew out to Arizona. Um, we went to a two-day intensive, um, I'll call it an executive training. Uh, at the time, the company was called Infusionsoft and they had, uh, they're called Keep now. Uh, they're, they're a CRM company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had uh, this this amazing training that was all based upon culture, core values, mission, purpose, why, all that kind of stuff tied into just this two-day intensive. And um, we learned so much in the, that short 48-hour period. And we came in and we started implementing what we had learned. And we started um, setting up regular meetings, uh, you know, meeting routine, you'll call it. And the most impactful thing that we've done still to this day Besides, you know, getting clear on our core values and and our mission and and why we're in business, we host an in-person quarterly meeting for the entire team. We shut the entire business down once a quarter. No phone calls, no emails, nothing. Everyone knows don't bother us in this day because we're working on us. Nice. So in those meetings, uh, we're, we're very transparent. We have nothing to hide. These are the financials. This is what we did. This is what's working well. This is not what's working. Uh, and then we also ask for direct input from everyone on the team, all the way down to the newest guy who might have been hired a week ago. He knows I, what your onboarding looks yeah, like, though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want these outside eyes who might be able to come in and say, hey, you know what? Well, why are you doing it that way? If we just do it this way, it'll save time and you'll be more efficient. Oh, great. Let's do it. That's awesome. Give them the opportunity to help you out. That's, mm-hmm. that's great. Well, uh, so our listeners, I, I mean, 
how and when should our listeners contact you? I guess if they need GPS installs, they, they get you immediately. But what else and, and how would they get a hold of you? So if anyone's interested in uh, a copy of my book, you can go to my my personal website, which is thomaskeenan.com. Uh, it's T-O-M-A-S. I don't have an H in my name. Um, I called you, that when I was writing it, when I was putting <laughs> this together. I was like, oh, this, yeah, T-O-M-A-S-K-E-E-N-A-N.com. That's right. Uh, if you want to check us out at topclassinstallations.com, you can go there as well. Uh, you can see some more about us, some videos, what we do, the kind of vehicles we work on. Um so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm all over uh, social media. Like most people, if you just search Thomas Keenan at Thomas Keenan, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can find me very easily. That's awesome. Well, hey, Thomas, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Excellent. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks.